Today's show, we're talking herbs. In fact, I got my feet soaking in them. Can you you know what, Scott? I think you better explain. I mean, we've got how many listeners that are really respecting this program, and you're talking about having your feet in water? No, not water. In herbs. In herbs. In, in, in a Japanese-formatted herbs. Oh, I've done those before. Oh, are you doing, did your wife toxin? talk you into doing something herbaceously into what? To, to get soften your skin? Uh, my daughter. Your daughter did that. Got me started on this. Does it pull toxins from your feet? Is that what it says it does? I've done that before. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be so cool. Yes. I made my husband do it. I'm man enough to say it is a foot peel because. You're secure with that. Well, not really, but, you know, for the sake of the show. And it's going over to at least 10,000 downloads. For the sake of the show, uh, yeah. But no, I am on my feet all the time. And I I mean, I go through socks like nothing because my feet are like sandpaper. So. My daughter got me hooked on doing these peels. It's called a peel? It's called, this one in particular is the original foot peel since 1997. So, I, you know, I'm messing around with this, doing it, opening it up. And, you know, we had talked about talking herbs. And we're like, okay, another food product. And you're like, no, we're not talking like food. And then I opened this up and I said, all right, I see what Mike's talking about. This contains extracts from, let's see... Some of these I can't pronounce because I'm terrible. Ivy, tea plant, lemon, clematis, grapefruit, meadowsweet, watercress, camel grass, orange, uh, some others I can't pronounce, burdock, burdock root, uh, soapwort, sage, and uh, horsetail herb. Horsetail is basically considered a weed and it it's is considered, considered noxious. It but- is, but people use it for diet. It can be very dangerous, so you got to be very careful with it. Hey, we got people here right now. Mary <laughs> Michonne, who's the expert of experts when it comes down to herbaceous uh, medications. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this over from going directly to you know putting a little chives on your potato, getting a little you know parsley to put into your soup. I mean, no, this is going to be something that we're talking people what they've done before World War II for medicinal purposes. Mary Michonne, we've talked to her before. Stick with us. I have housekeeping, though, first. Go. Since Mary was with us uh, talking about uh, houseplants, I came across this, and you guys tell me if I'm nuts. So they're talking uh, gnats. I've used hydrogen, 50% hydrogen peroxide and 50% water in a spray bottle. Nope. She's shaking her head no. No, that won't work. It says it kills gnat larvae on contact. Right. So gnat larvae will be down a few inches below the soil line. So you don't want to take hydrogen peroxide and spray it down into the soil because it's really not good to water your plants with that. But to kill them on contact, yes, that would work. But you're going to have to find the larva and you're not going to be able to see it. You're going to have to dig in the dirt. You're going to have to dig in the dirt. So the only thing you could do is remove your plant from the pot, leave the soil out and spray the soil down. But there are other there are other ways of doing it. And I also saw that cinnamon helps kill mold. Mold? Mold. 
Why don't so, you use soil cinnamon mold? And put on your coffee lattes or maybe toast with sugar. Yeah, I've heard a lot about cinnamon. Cinnamon for people using it as a rooting compound instead of regular rooting hormone. But it's a bark, isn't it? Um, it, it is. It's a bark. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, those are things that people have thought that they worked. I don't know that. I've never done experiments with it. And, um, but. Um, so I'm just going to delete that. Yes. Well, no. And the <laughs> no, Nats, we, we, we could talk like about Nats. To, to express that she doesn't know. Talking to the mic. Oh, I'd like her. I'd like it that she expresses that she doesn't know. I'd like to say right. things that I don't know. Oh, yeah. Because that will that will incite other people to come in and say, yeah, it worked. And then we could share that. Yeah. But Or it didn't work. And we've tried it on 100 different things. Right. Well, I'm, I just wanted to bring that up because yeah. I saw that post our conversation and... There's, there's a lot of things like for cinnamon, I know people have used it. There's all sorts of weird things that people like to put on their plants. And you have to be careful, like mayonnaise on the leaves to shine them up. Well, all you're going to do is you're just going to clog the, their pores or their stomata. Yeah, suffocate them. So I like coffee grounds. People think putting coffee grounds on their house plant is going to add the acidity into it. It's a nutritional type of thing. Don't use coffee grounds because they're going to sit in a pile and they're going to get yucky and stink and rot and cause root damage. You can add coffee, strong coffee. You could water a high nitrogen-loving plant like a jasmine or gardenia with it, but it's not something you would do all the time. Because and it's then got how an acid you, base to it? It's, it? It's acid base, so right. it's high in nitrogen, technically, but how do you measure that? You don't know, you know, you know a 20-20-20 fertilizer, you know, it's 20 parts nitrogen, but how do you know what your coffee is? So, you know... Some of that stuff, I I say, just be cautious about those types of things. I found out that Arabica is actually Colombian, and that's coffee, not the not another yeah, herb. But I yeah. mean, I didn't know that, and I use it to drink. But I did not know that you could use that as a straight fertilizer. I mean, it's high in acid, but it's, it's going to give it a little. It's high in nitrogen, also. Yeah, but it's you know, it's not something that you can really. I mean, it's not something you know. Let's brew put a coffee for your plant. Well, then speaking of the plants, though, what can we use? I mean, well, not necessarily for the benefit of the plants. I'm talking about the benefit of the human being, the, 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 the conflict we have right now with trusting, let's say, the medical industry yeah. and what we can do for ourselves. What did mom and grandma do prior to World War II? Well, and that's I think those are the things that a lot of our younger generation, they don't see it so much except for at my house because I'm kind of a, a witch doctor. I know my, my son... He said when the kids came to our house and went into our basement, they said it was like a museum because I have kombucha scobies. I got stuff on shelves. All my herbs are drying. I've got things hanging. And, you know, I mean, I I can't say that I utilize every single herb for every ailment or anything that I think is going on. But I love experimenting. And if I read about it and it gives me a description or uh, directions to do something, I'm always trying it because I know somebody's coming in here and asking me the same questions. I know that you've got a multi-faceted uh, educational base. Are you somewhat educated in this? I mean, does, let's say, the academes recognize you as being somebody that that can do something like growing things and, and an expert at this? I think I have probably more knowledge. I don't consider myself an expert because there's so much information out there. Sure. But I think what we'll talk about today is just general information about herbs as a, a, a food and medicine, basically, is really what people think about it. But it's not just, it's not just chives and oregano and basil. There's so many other things, you know, there's trees, there's shrubs, conifers, there's, you know, you can make pine, pine needle tea and it's high in vitamin C. 
I don't know if that's something I would want to drink all the time because I can't imagine it's flavorful. I don't know, but maybe it's somebody's. Well, is medicine taste. supposed to be flavorful? I mean, right. you know. Well, and that's the thing. You know, that's one thing. Sometimes, you know, we're drinking things and going, oh, this is good for me. Just keep drinking it because you, can put you know a that. You full of sugar into you it, could. you know, and yeah. then watch it go down. But yeah. That's 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 a Disney thing, and that, but that I mean, I agree with you. I mean, when, but see, there's mustard patches years ago. I mean, before some of us kids had hair on our chest, we were congested. Grandma and Ma would come out and plaster ourselves with the mustard, you know, on the on top of the, and it stunk right. like the Dickens, but it did clear up. It pulled things out. Yeah. So please, I want you to take you know the reins on this and tell me what things do you find, especially in the Midwest are going to be better for, let's say, the common medicinal remedies that people will use. person to put in their garden. So there are a few things that you really, I think, that are very beneficial and easy to grow. And we are in the Midwest, so our growing time, if we're going to do it outside, is very limited. You know, it's kind of shifting. The beauty of herbs are a lot of them like cooler temperatures. And I love growing herbs because I usually start them very cold. I don't grow them in a 75-degree greenhouse. I usually grow them slower And in a cooler greenhouse, I just think they do better. And then we try to grow as organically as possible. And it does keep aphids. Aphids are warm weather. They start in April. And aphids want to get on your herbs. And so it's one way, growing them cool, growing them from seed. Those are easier for you to do. We had to throw out batches upon batches upon batches of basil because they had the aphids in it and the tomatoes and the peppers. I mean, once they get started, it's just you can't control that. You can't get rid of that. And we do the same thing with all of our vegetables, though. I do stress them out a little bit. I grow them in a cooler temperature, and I call it bug control because the bugs like it warm and put some fans on, air movement, that type of thing. So, And, you know, one of the things that I have seen over, I've been here 15 years, is there is a huge, and it's not COVID, it's not, this has all started well before COVID, and I, I love to see it as a lot of the younger generation. They're learning how to make their own technically what we're calling medicine, but they're making their own herbal remedies to start as a preventative, which is the crucial thing. It may not be, herbs may not be that they're going to prevent a disease or they're going to halt a disease or cure disease, but they are preventative medicine. And that in and and of itself can be something really important. So for example, we talked earlier about mint. Mint is a wonderful herb. It's probably the most popular. I thought basil would be, but I think mint is truly the most popular. One of the things, you know, something that I recommend to people all the time is, you know, they come in and, oh, I just want to grow herbs, but I don't know what to grow. And you ask them, what are you doing? Why are you wanting to grow herbs all of a sudden? And they said, I want to replace my soda. Oh my gosh, thank goodness. Get soda out of your lives, people, and put Put herb teas, make your own concoctions, add honey to it, buy stevia plants and grow your own stevia and create your own drinks. Do a ginger. What's a stevia do? Stevia is a sugar substitute. Is it? It's wonderful. It is 200 times more potent than sugar, but it's not an easy herb to grow and it needs a lot of sun and heat. And I would never recommend anyone tries to grow it from seed because it takes about six months to germinate and it's like three months of cold and then two months of heat and then one month of cold and okay. it's like mind boggling. I didn't mean to interrupt your tangent because you were on a roll. Yeah. Do you want to continue on that yeah, with the kids? Let's, and the- yeah. And, you know, and it's not just the younger generation, but, you know, here you are and I am. We grew up with all these wild things that our grandparents and our parents did for us, you know. 
you have a cough at night. What did you get? A shot of whiskey, you know? Oh, just yeah. Not yeah. Shot yeah. Of whiskey you went with to honey sleep. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did. And you, but, you know, some of that stuff, you know. To this day, my mother blames her <laughs> when I was teething. She used to put whiskey on my gums. And she goes, that's why he doesn't drink anymore. He can't handle his alcohol because it's all my fault. Yes. Well, no, ma. No, ma. <laughs> Honestly, guys, I, I got 21 years in now, so I don't want to have be anywhere near it. But now that I ended up um, interrupting you, garlic and horseradish was chopped up one time. There was a Christmas Oof. a bunch of years back. Yeah. There was a lady from the Ukraine, which was actually my ex-in-law, and she spoke broken English. But I was, you know, oh, I had the hot pack on my head and chest. I had Vicks all over the place. I thought I had pneumonia. She goes, here, eat this. You know, and I'm going, oh, what is it? I'm looking. She pushes my head back and opens my mouth. She goes, eat it. I said, well, what is it first? And then she shoves it in my mouth. It was a combination of chopped up garlic clove and horseradish. Yep. And she gave me a glass of water. She goes, swallow, swallow. So I swallowed it. Within 45 minutes, every pore in my body was just oozing. I mean, everything that could have been in there was just oozing out. Within two hours, I don't want to say I was playing softball or anything, but I felt a thousand percent better. Yeah. Now, this was something from the old country that, I mean, it was garlic and horseradish. Yeah. You're talking, you got it, people are starting earlier. They are. The new generation that, you know, they don't like going to the grocery store and being forced to eat what is here and not knowing what's in it. I sure there's a label on cans. But did you see that there's 72 different things on there? Exactly. That, that you know, it's organic and it's natural. But they've got 9, 10, 11 different types of preservatives and color right. bases in it. Right. So what does one do? What do you recommend somebody starts with in the Midwest that wants to get going on, let's say, remedial purposes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a few um, things that are very popular and that I always recommend. I always grow a huge bed of calendula or calendula however you say it. It's a, a beautiful yellow flower. You have to be careful, though, because there are hybrids. The oranger the color, the deeper the yellow the color, those are the better medicinal properties that you have. But you cannot get a hybrid because, again, it removes the medicinal qualities, and you've got to get the old-fashioned kind. So if it has a trademark or a copyright, or if its name is in parentheses, it's no good. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. So go to a greenhouse that actually grows the real old-fashioned kind. I grow a kind called Erfeder Orange. And in Calendula, it's called Ferrandiol. And that's the medicinal quality of it. And it's antiseptic. It's anti-inflammatory. It's antibacterial. People put it in salve. So you can make a very generic type of salve that you can heal skin. You can put it on chapped lips and chapped noses, your cold hands and dried heels and all that <laughs> stuff. It's very good for that. Um, but you want to make sure that it is a plant that is not a hybrid. A difference between a hybrid and a generic plant in itself or or. What, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Cultivar. Well, if yeah, yeah the, the generic basic plant itself. I mean, we will call it a wildflower. Some people call it a weed. Right. I would like to know where we're going from here and how we do it. Rather than go ahead and just say, okay, people go out there and plant an herb garden for right. your own benefit. Right. Well, and that's, that's the thing. You know, you really have to assess your lawn. You've got to figure out what spots are good. Most of your herbs require full sun. Um, raised beds are perfect for, for herbs, they actually work very nicely. Keep the weeds out if that's, you know, if you're using the right type of soil component in your raised bed. But, um, you know, you need to have a nice spot. You need to make sure that the animals aren't digging in it. And, you know, or you have a nice patio with pots and that type of thing. But 
Sun is going to be crucial. A shadier thing, there's really very few herbs that I know of that can grow in full shade. So that could be a problem. Then you may not get the blooms if you're using the flower petals. Um, you may not get like if it's a rose, you may not get if it's a ragosa rose, you may not get the rose hips because of the shade. So you have to think about the location and then you have to think about what do you want to do with it? Is it going to be a culinary garden or is it going to be a medicinal? So, you know, some of these will be interchanged. Even well, then just let's do the medicinal garden. Okay. I mean, let's go now coneflower. Okay. They've been, you know, manipulated forever. I mean, they've been genetically modified. Right. What is the original coneflower? What color is the flower? And what's it used for medicinally or, ba- or remedially? There's, there's two different types. Okay. There's the echinacea, the purple coneflower, echinacea purpurea. And then there's, mm-hmm. well, there's retibia, which is, or no, the uh, echinacea pallida. That's the yellow one. That's the wild one. The one that a lot of people don't see. And they often think it's the black-eyed Susan. So that's the biggest thing. Now, I'm not as familiar as that for that one. I grow that one and we sell it as a native. But medicinal qualities, well, I don't know that one as much as I know the purple coneflower. Let's talk the purple one. And so the echinaceas, people use that all the time for helping with the common cold. That's usually what people think about when they take echinacea. The biggest thing, though, is you have to do your research on some of these because just taking echinacea alone isn't your body isn't going to be able to take it up and what they call assimilate, use it the way it's supposed to be unless you have zinc with it. So there's some there's some things here that you have to think about. And I recommend you get a good book. And that's what I said about houseplants. Get a book and balance what you read on the Internet with what is in the book, in a book. Come to your own conclusion. Yes, on this. and there's oh, thousands of herb books out there. There's there's one that I like. There's a company called Strictly Medicinal Herbs. Rico Zek is the guy. I have emailed him a few times because I write articles for a little newsletter. And he owns this company. He is this huge herbalist on the West Coast, and he responds to me in email. He is a really cool guy. And he's got a lot of medicinal herb books out there. And their website, the Strictly Medicinal website, is really a good spot for people to start with. A lot of their herbs, though, you are not going to be able to grow them indoors or out in the Midwest. You know, I've done, I've tried Arnica. I put Arnica in a salve that I make for inflammation. Arnica grows in the mountains. We don't, we can't, we can't, that. we can't do yeah. that. So buy it dried. Find a really reputable, nice herb company like Mountain Rose Herbs or Penn or somebody that sells good quality dried herbs and then use it that way. So so medicinally, we talked about purple coneflower. So you have to know what are you going to use? What part of the plant are you going to use? And that's, you know, people think it's always the flower. Well, it could be the seed. It can be the stem. It could be the leaves and so or the roots. So you have to know it could be detrimental to, to make a tea out of the roots. It could cause a real problem with your you know your stomach and your intestines but the flower might be the way to go so those are things you can't just grow these things and then go oh my god now what do I do so you have to get a book you have to do some research and you have to say how is this going to be possible is it an extract do you literally have to steam this plant and get the extract out of it and make a tincture or something out of it what do you have to do to get this plant to become a medicine on the shelf. Well, uh, let me ask you this then. I mean, obviously this is second nature for families and people. I mean, before they even had classes, 
um, and I mean, you know, let's say middle, lower, poor, poverty-ridden, and exceptionally wealthy, that they were getting these extracts out of things. They were having somebody to do it, and that was either a barber or a pharmaceutical agent that would somebody that had a store that was extracting these. What do you personally work yourself on? I usually make tinctures, okay, or I'll make a salve, or I will um, heat things on the stove. I make elderberry syrup. Um, you talked about taking horseradish and garlic. There's things out there now. People are making their own fire cider. Very same as what you were taking. If you look fire cider up, oh my God, it's the most, it's the worst stuff ever. If you take a spoonful and you take a small amount, it opens your pores. It gets your, um, it opens up your lungs. It gets you to breathe better. And it's something that they say to help take and helps reduce the number of days that a cold might have on you. Well, what do you do as far, what do you use for your tinctures? What do you do? Well, first of all, what's the definition of a tincture well, versus a Well, a tincture sap? is really um, your dried berries, your barks, your leaves, either they're dried or they're fresh, and they're placed in a jar, and either you use vinegar or you use a really potent alcohol. And so here in Ohio, if you want to use a real alcohol, you can go and get, you know, your, you know, 90-proof vodka. I drive to Indiana and I buy the real stuff, like the 200 proof alcohol. The higher the grade alcohol, the better it is at removing the medicinal qualities from that herb. So it literally, you are soaking it for anywhere from two weeks to two months. You're rotating, you're, you're, you know, you're shaking your bottles. And then what you do is, and that's the thing, with tinctures and herbs, people don't know, you don't know quantities because your body weights are all different. Your ages are different. You might have... You know, maybe your blood pressure isn't, you know, normal. Maybe your kidney function isn't as good as it should be. So you have to think about all those things that you're putting into your body as well. So they may not have the same effect on every single person. That's why they're not FDA approved. Well, that's like the, the pharmaceutical, you know, th there are some, some medications that they have out there that are going to, you better watch it. It may give you a headache or you may become pregnant because of it. I mean, it's all of this. Oh, this. It's, it's the same disclaimers can go with an herb as well. Can anybody overdose on these things? You Actually, you can. You really? can have, oh, sure. You could have gastric upset. You could oh. have certain herbs will make your heart race. They will interact with medications. That's why I'm saying, you know, this isn't just something, you know, oh boy, I've got diabetes. I'm going to forego all my medication mm. and I'm just going to drink parsley tea. That's really not a wise thing to do, you know, but there are things that you can do. Like, what are you doing in your diet as a diabetic? Maybe you need to eliminate sugar. Maybe you need to add stevia. And long time ago, um, there's a gentleman out there called Neil Barnard, and he basically kind of redesigned the food pyramid. And Neil Barnard has a book out there on the 21-day diet. And he said that anybody can break a food habit in 21 days, but you never take your entire diet and you redo it because you're going to fail miserably. You pick one thing. And that's one of the things that I started to do years ago. My favorite thing is vanilla Coke. I love vanilla Coke. And <laughs> as when I was a drug rep and I would go through a drive-thru and get a vanilla Coke, I never felt good afterwards. So I don't drink soda at all. And I started to think about all the different things that I can make as far as I'm what, what would satisfy that craving? So I got into ginger, making my own ginger beer. And I mean, it's just interesting. It's fun. I think that you utilize it more when you do it yourself. I don't think a oh, pill yeah. bottle of milk thistle for liver detoxing is as fun as you actually 
growing something and making it yourself. Well, well, thistle, liver detoxing? Yeah. Milk, well, yes. Would you milk the I plant? mean, I've got, I cannot tell you. My kids laugh at me because I get into all of this, and then I have bottles of stuff sitting on the counter. and Labeled, I'm presuming. And, and everybody's like, what's this for? And I can't remember. Oh, they're not I labeled. I mean, <laughs> I have to go to my herb book and figure it out. I'm like, I bought that for some reason, and I don't remember why. So my generic answer is it helps myself. <laughs> That's what I okay. tell people. Your favorite but, plants, though, to utilize. Oh, calendula is really by far my, I, that's the one I use all the time. You can eat the the flower petals. You can put them in your, in your salads. They are anti-inflammatory. They're good for people who have stomach ulcers and acid uh, indigestion. You can eat the flowers. You can use all parts of the plant. Um, and then I take the leaves and the flowers and I dry them. Um, the best way to dry your herbs, because nobody knows how to dry herbs, you can't hang them on the clothesline in full sun because they're going to turn black and be putrid. Oh. So you take a brown paper sack or a dry location in a basement with a dehumidifier. You cannot put a, herbs in your basement if you do Mold not have, fungus. yep, they'll just rot. So the best way for you to do it is to gather your plants in loose bundles and stick them in a brown paper sack. And hang them upside down so their stems stick out of the the sack. And then you can either cl- seal it up around it and close it up with a rubber band or something. Well, I know why the brown paper sack, because I'm a genius. And that's so that that can breathe. It can breathe. It Also, the paper portion of that helps pull any moisture, moisture that is out the- coming out of the plants at that time. And it keeps it dark. So if you're ever drying herbs and your herbs are not green, a nice colored green, then they're no good. If they are it's black, a drying issue. It's a drying issue, yes. Usually you've done it with too much light or too much humidity. So you, most people, you know, everybody's, oh, the old barn, you know. Well, who has that? <laughs> I mean, who does? I have a clothesline in my basement, and I'm really cautious about drying in my basement even because we have a dehumidifier, and it's the clothesline is right above that. But it's also where my washing machine is, and so there's water. And so you have to really pick a good location and that's why I say if I dry herbs here at the greenhouse, the humidity is way too high. If I do it in a paper bag, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. Hmm. Slow, well, is a, slow process is good. We noticed that there's your definition. I mean, there's, a, there's an academic definition of what an herb is. What's yours? I would just say it's a, it's a, it's a, a leafy plant that's utilized either culinary or, or medicinally. So really any kind of a leafy plant can be considered an herb and it's short. Herb is short for herbaceous. Right. Meaning that it's any type of a herbaceous, but there's certain things that are going to, you know, you got to know what in the heck you're doing. You do. (laughs) Otherwise you eat it. I mean, something that looks like Queen Anne's lace is actually either wild carrot or wild hemlock. Yeah. Two of those things I wouldn't put in my mouth. Right. The, the, the wild (laughs) carrot, well, I don't know if there's anything beneficial about that either. Other than it's good for swallowtails. For swallowtails. Yeah, it's in the carrot family. The parsley's in the carrot family. So that's good for your your butterflies in the area. They'll lay their eggs on it. It's a host plant. So that's a good thing. But as okay. far as medicinal-wise, I don't think there's anything medicinal. Uh, leafy plants. All right, well, we're going to start with a tree. I know that there's a willow tree that, you know, acetosidicelic acid, which is actually the main component for aspirin. Aspirin, yeah. Um, is it the bark? Is it the leaf? Or is it both? I, um, I believe it's the mucilaginic Thing between the bark and the main part of the plant. Bingo. But I, I think, like this. yeah, that's, that's what it is. I mean, that's, and that's hard. How do you like, it's same thing with witch hazel. 
So people want to put witch hazel. You can buy witch hazel oil. It's another tree. It's another tree, and it's beautiful. But how do you turn that into medicine? Not always an easy thing. But these are the lost secrets that right. you know, our ancestors basically. How did they get us this far? I mean, I'm sure there was it's a forgotten, a, a certain it's such diseases. a forgotten thing. That's why I'm so thrilled that younger people are thinking about this. They're learning about it. There's so many classes online. I took a a class from Europe on herbs, and it, there's so many things. And I always recommend that for people. Lifelong learning is a wonderful thing. And if you get ten things from it or two things, that's why I say just don't just don't read everything online and look at your your websites where who are you getting your information from? You know, we've said this a bit again about houseplants, but but herbs used as medicine can be you have to be cautious. You can overdo it. And that's the the biggest thing. And like I said, you know, I've been on both sides of the fence because I was a drug rep for almost 20 years. And I sold meds for cardiovascular disease and every single herb, there was lists of herbs that have interactions with heart meds. And, you know, a lot of that, you have to go, why, why, what is it? And it's just that they open up, they open up your blood vessels. They do all sorts of things naturally that you can, can interact with your medication. So you want to be careful with that. Like St. John's word. Now, see, that's what I was going to... Because I can only imagine over the last two years from COVID, people are going to want to go out and try naturally helping their depression. And what do you do with St. John's Wort? Well, be careful. Yes, you can probably find some good information if you find some really good, reputable medicinal herb books on how to use it. But you got to know what it interacts with. And I always recommend everybody, if you are using this or you are going to give it to someone to use... Please do a search either in the book, in the library, online about what herbs or what regular pharmaceuticals this, these herbs might interact with because it can be a long list and you want to be careful about that. What about spiderwort? Spiderwort. I don't know how familiar I am with spiderwort. Okay. What, have you, what have you read on it? Well, I've I read mean, that, that now, see, the aboriginals were the ones that were using that yeah. and they were using it for breathing purposes and for clearing, but they would also... Um, they would incorporate that into, well, the, okay, I'll be open and honest with it. They, they, they drink it. They drank it. They tea, it was a tea from the flower. From that, the flower. Yeah. Yeah. And they would drink it. And I don't know exactly what that was beneficial for. Um, I mean, there's other things that are out there. Like uh, we've already gone through coneflower. We've gone through St. John's wort. We've calendula. gone through calendula. There's another one out there that's very popular that people um, are starting to use a little bit more. Tulsi, holy basil. And basil? Ho- yep, holy basil. Not your not your regular what, you green leaf. Tulsi? T-U-L-S-I, Tulsi. And it's considered holy basil. We grow, usually grow two to three different varieties here. And they can be anything from, like, you can take the seeds. If you ever go to a Middle East market and look in their drink section, a lot of times they'll have um, drinks with um, basil seed in it. And if you put basil seed, actual organic, no, don't buy, you know, if you're going to put that in a, a drink, it becomes very mucinogenic. And then you drink it. And what that does is any of your toxins, any of those things, it, it, it grabs a hold of it and flushes it out of your system. So it's very similar to, um, what is it, charcoal. Is Have you ever seen a charcoal drink? Mm-hmm. They're making those right now as yeah. a detoxifier, and it's the same theory. Basil seeds will do that same thing. But Tulsi basil 
it's either grown in the house as a religious type of thing. It's beautiful plant. It's very, very strong smelling. It's different than regular basils, but it's often, often sold as a tea. So you would dry their leaves and the flowers are beautiful. You can, you can use the flowers, you can use the leaves, you can use the stem. Um, and there's a number of different varieties of holy basil. So there are some of those out there. Regular holy basil does not germinate very easily, not as regular basil does. So um, just do your research, and um, it would be a sativa, I believe, is the species of it. So you would be in an alerted state. It doesn't relax you. It doesn't really—no, really what it—Tulsi basil is really a holy basil is, is because of its high antioxidant, it's like— it's considered like an adaptogen, like ginger is or ginseng, all those types of things. And what an adaptogen is, so ginseng, again, that's we, all, we need to talk about ginseng and we need to talk about ginger, and, and those are things you that's can grow too. Bring down, yeah. But those are all considered adaptogens. There's another one called rhodiola we have in our herb aisle, and I started those from seed. Rhodiola is actually looks like a hens and chicks. It's a succulent plant um, grown usually up in— uh, What was it called? Rhodiola. It's R-H-O-D-I-O-L-A, rhodiola. And uh, they often call it rose root because it's the root of the plant is the most potent part. And it smells like roses when you pluck it and you chop it up. But you can use all parts of it, even the flowers. And they bloom yellow. They're beautiful. It's zone three. So you can grow it outside and it will creep along the ground. And you could always dig up small chunks of it and utilize that. But it's something that can be grown here in the Midwest very, very easy. And actually, we grow it inside here in the greenhouse, and it does beautiful all year long. What's the benefit of bay leaf? Do you know? Bay leaf? Um, I mean, I've heard Other stories. than the flavor, but I'm sure bay leaf probably has. I mean, you have to think about most of your herbs are going to be high in antioxidants. And what does an antioxidant do? It goes and it pulls all the bad toxins out of toxins your- out of your system. So you, they're called free radicals. And so free radicals floating around in your system, you want to do what you can to pull them out. And free radicals are a byproduct of stress, of your kidneys and adrenals not working properly, poor food choices. You have lots of different free radicals. And so antioxidants are what you find in your deep, rich, dark-colored fruits and vegetables, those antioxidants grab a hold of those free radicals and remove them from your body so that they don't turn into cancer cells or cells that are not forming properly or causing you to have some sort of inflammation. And that's, that's kind of the basics behind medicinal herbs in a nutshell is that, you know, like celery, um, parsley, Um, cilantro, high in vitamin A, high in vitamin C. And you don't need to just sprinkle it in your food. You can make teas with it. Well, It's huge for tea. I do what they call juicing. And I juice turmeric. I juice ginger. I juice... Just recently, I've been... uh, The... the, the, um, Oh, gosh. Cilantro. Yep. To be brought in because somebody told me, and I, I know it's not going to knock me out and I'm going to be out, you know, and having, have to go to a, you know, a 12 step program later on. Uh, in this case, what it, what it does is it pulls out all of the heavy metals in your body yeah. in your kidneys, the liver. Yep. And he said, just start using, you can get the dry stuff over at, you know, the, the, the organic food stores, or you can get the real thing and can just mix it in with your juices. I've been doing that. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I don't know. Um, 
But I've got so many questions on yeah. this. Oh, no, that's, I mean, it's it's huge. I mean, most people don't even think about making parsley or cilantro tea. It's a great way to get that good nutrition into your system without having to eat, you know, a bale of it. But I did find out that, you know, you're supposed to use it. If you make the tea, don't make it and put it in a two-quart two, a two pitcher. You're going to use it right now because right. it loses its potency. potency. Yeah, most food will, yeah. Within and some people want to store it, and yep. it's not going to stay there for them. Yep, yep. Well, you said ginger yeah. and turmeric. I mean, ginger basically takes a cool, dark. It grows in a wood, wooded area, doesn't it? It's usually a well, very moist area. It loves water. Yeah, usually moist, but it grows in a pot in your house. Does it really? Oh, easy, very easy. You know, you just have See, to be careful that you know you're buying an organic ginger root. If you can place that down in the ground. You know, and then just know where your main plant is. If it's not organic, you know, you'll get branching, shooting, rooting. The rhizomes move about and just know where the main one is. You probably don't want to eat that because sometimes they do dip them. They do treat them so they don't start growing in the grocery store. So you want to be careful about that. What about uh, turmeric? Turmeric. I mean, that's got turmeric. What, oh, my what's gosh. The, what's the offshoot on that? It's uh, cut, begins with a C, I think. Oh, curcuma. Yeah, curcuma. curcumin. Curcuma. Yeah, that. Oh, my gosh. Turmeric is another easy one to grow. We grew that years here it just you know nobody was buying it and the thing is is it needs a little bit more sunlight um and it makes a really pretty plant it's a beautiful plant um turmeric ginger rhodiola uh what's the other one there's like i I was talking about adaptogens and what adaptogens are when you hear that word basically an adaptogen takes you back to a normal state so anytime you've had a very stressful week, you've had a stressful month, a stressful two years, you know, <laughs> things have been really crazy for everyone. What happens is your adrenal gland, which helps with epinephrine, norepinephrine, your fight or flight, it, it sits on top of your yeah. kidneys and it helps with blood pressure regulation, and all that. It goes haywire. And what you need is you need like meditation will help. My yoga doctor helps told that. me that. What it does is it helps to relax your internal body, and the, the, the adaptogen herbs help return you to a normal state. So what an adaptogen herb will be is it will work a lot of times on the adrenal gland, bringing it back from a stressful situation to a normal situation. And what happens when your adrenal gland is stressed out or you're stressed out is nothing in your body starts to work the way it's supposed to. So you're starting to see little things going on. You're going to get a cold. You're going to have, your nails aren't going to be as strong. They're going to be weakening. Your hair is going to start to fall out. Your tongue is going to turn a little white and yeasty. All these things start to happen. And if you don't get a hold of it, then you start with disease. And so I think what's happening with a lot of younger people, I mean, I can't even imagine the younger generation going through like finances and things like that, what they have to go through, what we never had to go through. I mean, think about college. My God, I worked a summer job and worked during, well, and I paid my, for college. My, my first goodness. quarter of college uh, was $245. Yeah. I mean, well, sure it was a state school, but I yeah. mean, my goodness gracious. And then when I ended up, I mean, I was discovering girls and beer. So I was asked to leave, and then I came back in and got academic forgiveness. But then it went from the two forty-five a quarter. It was almost eleven hundred dollars, and that was then a quarter. And nowadays, I mean, I sent my son, who decided he wasn't going to go, and I can't have access to his report card. Um, I, I ended up owing forty grand, and he was only there less than a year. So, oh my. We won't, yeah, 
We're not going to go there. No, I, you know, and that's the thing is that there's a lot of stuff that's causing people stress these days. And sometimes herbs might be the way to go to start off slowly. And instead of drinking that beer or instead of drinking that soda, get rid of Mountain Dew, everyone. It's just so bad for your system. And the thing is, is I don't think people realize, you know, you might have one this day and then another one a few days from now. And it's like, oh, I don't drink it every day. But you've drank it for years. Yeah. And so your body is like. builds it up. Right. And so what I'm just saying is that your herbs are a good alternative for you to to start thinking about creating your own teas, creating your own teas that are hot, teas that are you can use in the summer for cold. Um, Roselle, have you have have you ever heard of Roselle hibiscus? I've heard of hibiscus. So but I'm not, there's uh, so many different things out there. Like there's lots and lots of different types of hibiscus. Roselle, huh? Roselle hibiscus, and it's um, hibiscus saffodifora, something like that. I think it. Um, you can find seeds online. I do believe Baker Creek offers some seeds. They're the one place, and it's becoming popular. I've had it now for, I think this is going to be my sixth or seventh year. It's not this beautiful decorative bloom like you see on these tropical hibiscuses. It's a, it's a very s- s- a tall, narrow plant with these kind of whitish blooms that have a dark eye on them. But you don't use the flowers. It's called the calyx. And the calyx is what surrounds the petals of the flower. And there are these little tiny triangular-shaped petals. And these are deep, deep red. And they're very thick and juicy. And they surround the petals of this hibiscus flower. And so you just watch your plant grow all summer. And then they all bloom. And then you just let the flowers dry. And then you remove those little calyxes. And they taste like lemon. So you can make um, red zinger tea. The celestial seasonings um, tea called red zinger is made with the tropical hibiscus roselle. That's what it's made out of with lemon. I believe it's lemon and that. But that's a it is a lemon flavored and it reduces blood pressure. That's where I was it going lowers, with it. It lowers blood sugar and it tastes wonderful. Every once in a while, if you want to jazz things up a little bit, you can take one of the little calyx petals that you've dried and throw it into a, a pot of white rice and it turns it pink. No kidding. The, yes, the Chinese or the, the Asian populations, it used to be that only the royalty got pink rice. But it's it's a really, really fun way to add a little bit of lemony flavor to it. So if you're making like a, a burrito and you add a little bit, so now you've got pink rice, which doesn't matter you've got a little bit of a lemon flavor to that rice. It's really very cool. And you can make hot tea with it. You can make uh, cool tea. But, you know, it's something like, let's say you wanted to use it for your blood pressure. You can't just drink a cup and think it's over. Well, we're talking with Mary You're- Michonne from Bensell's Garden Center here. And, well, it's the Midwest. But I, I, I got a question. Most of the herbs that we're talking about are considered weed or have been. Now, yeah. mullen, hawthorn. I grew a plantain. Plant- There's another one. Oh my God, we grew up eating it. I would just eat it. It's a broad. Well, which one was it? The broadleaf or the narrowleaf? The broadleaf. The broadleaf. They can make it, salads out yeah, of it. Yeah, it was very sour. Well, dandelion. Learned that from also. my grandmother. The dandelion leaf. Oh, beautiful. And the dandelion remedial purposes on that. Oh my gosh, dandelion root, perfect for a coffee alternative. It's so good for you. Dandelion is a is a wonderful detoxifier, and you can. Just don't harvest dandelion in your yard if you guys are treating your yard. you got to go out four miles away from anybody that's treated a yard. 
but you can grow French dandelions. And that, again, I think Baker Creek sells that seed. French dandelion is going to be the dandelion you often find in the grocery store that's very ridged. The leaves are very, very, very ridged and large and long and often have a red stem. And those are called what That's a French dandelion. And that's what we will grow here. Boy, it takes a long time. Yeah, we grow a few. I don't do a lot of them because most people don't want... Same thing with stinging nettles. I've well, grown stinging nettles here because you you don't want to take it from your yard. Well, but whew, that's a tough one. Let's, too. let's just ask that question. Oh. I mean, if somebody, let's say somebody five blocks down is treating their yard with, you know, dicamba to knock the weeds out, you know, excessive nitrogens and potassium. Uh, they're not supposed to be using uh, potash, but it's four or five blocks down. I wouldn't be. You I wouldn't, wouldn't be, be doing anything in within that region. OK, so we tried as kids once we were going to make dandelion wine. Oh. Okay, we went over to Crane Creek right along Lake Erie. Rangers are watching us pick bushels of it. We're taking it. We're putting it in the back of my pickup truck. We got to the gate and said, stop right there. The guy's, you know, putting his arms on his hips. And, okay, he goes, what you got there? And I said, well, you saw, you were watching us the whole time. He goes, well, you got to dump them. What? You got to dump them right here. (gasps) Why? You can't take anything out of a state park. park. So it was like, oh, God, that would have been the the best way to do it. But we didn't even make Dandelion wine. Yeah. Mullen. Mullen. Now, I understand oh, my Mullen goodness, yeah. and Hawthorne. Now, they're both something that helps with the lungs. Right, yes. They do. They work on the in the surface of the alveoli. I'm saying that right. So they actually work on the, the cell lining is what they help with. So mm-hmm. they'll actually help open things up and help you breathe better. And, I mean, there's lots of herbs out there that do that. Did you ever wonder where in the world people came up with that? Did they watch a a, a, a beaver go out there and chew on, you know, some I know, willow I, bark and spit it out and he never had a headache? Did he I talk have, to him? I I, isn't that crazy? I mean, you think about it, if there's, you know, the the Native Americans when they were, you know, going around. I don't know. I really don't know how that stuff was do, ever do, found might out. Might you know the benefit of a rose, rose hip? Uh, uh, well, high in vitamin C, yes, it is? definitely, yeah. And ro- rose hips, you can't get them off of every single rose. It's not. Well, as see, potent. we've got hybrids that are there that are not going to give you the benefit. No, they're of not going to give you the. But you need a rugosa rose. You know the wild. Yes. You need a wild rose. You need a rugosa. You need. Um, where's that book I had? Because it's in here. There's another variety. I was just reading about it that but I didn't know about. But again, like I said, I'm looking at the Smithsonian Handbook on Herbs, and it's really a wonderful thing because it does tell you what part of the plant you utilize. And I think that's, if you're looking for an herb book, that's what you want to look well, for. Well, see, now, what, what was that called again? The, the Smithsonian, Smithsonian Handbook, Handbook on Herbs. I mean, I have hundreds of herb books. Every single one of them has something diff- different in it. And what I did when I developed my salve recipe is I had, you know, five or six books out there. And I did like algorithms. So if you add this, it does that. But you got you can't. This contradicts the effect you of that. You realize that the Catholic Church banned this, and did you know why? Because they wanted people to be dependent and countries to be dependent upon them. And the people that did this were considered sorcerers or witches. Of course, somebody called me a hippie. I, I'd I take, be complimented I, uh, on that I take one. that as a compliment because I love to. I just loved. I always have a pot of salve on my stove. Always a pot of salve. Pot of salve. It's now, what in are a you using boil- the salve It's for? in a double double boiler. I use we use it for everything. Cuts. I mean, if you put calendula in the right kind of salve stuff that you have. What about scaly skin? Yes, it helps. It's wonderful. The thing is about salves because that's really one of your first and most easiest things that you can create in your kitchen if you're going to become a medicinal type of person. Just getting a basic salve recipe. 
There is a huge difference, though. This is the biggest thing. People always use olive oil, coconut oil. Those are barrier oils. You have to know the difference between a barrier oil and a um, carrier oil. A carrier oil takes the medicinal qualities of the herbs that you are heating it with, and it carries it into your body so that it can move throughout and do what it's supposed to. A barrier oil, when you put it on your skin, is a barrier, and it doesn't allow anything in. So it has no effect. That's carrier. No, that's barrier. barrier. So don't use olive oil and don't use coconut oil in your salves. Try apricot oils, grapeseed oil. It's going to raise your price up. It's going to be more expensive, but it's going to be more effective so you don't have to use as much. Why do do they worry about the polyunsaturates then? I mean, do we know anything? You don't about really that? need to worry about that. You don't? When it, as, as far as putting that on your skin, I don't think you need oh, to worry right, about that. Right. I mean, in your in your body, I suppose it's harder for your body to break stuff like that down. But think of uh, the barrier oil as preen. Oh, so it'll prevent things, it w- or it'll think of it as a wall. As a it's the wall. Prevent- it's oh. Yeah. So nothing can penetrate it. Correct. So if you're putting olive oil on your body, it's basically keeping it just the way it is. But it's not hydrating it. It's just sitting on there. And I, I just think it would clog your pores. Okay. Okay. I mean, I have grapeseed oil in my salve and I cook with grapeseed oil. And I use Is that it. a carrier oil? It's a carrier oil. And so is apricot oil. And grapeseed oil is huge in antioxidants. So not only, I mean, and your skin is the most porous part of your body. So don't put anything on your skin that you don't know what it is. Wow. So, I don't know. I mean, I just think, I just, I just listen to everybody making salves, and they always use the cheapest stuff, and sometimes the cheapest stuff is not the best. What about chickweed? Do you know anything about that? I mean, I'm, I'm looking around, like chickweed, in the spring. I've, I've seen lots and lots of people making teas out of it. I think it's anti-inflammatory. I haven't done a lot of okay. research on chickweed. So, what this sounds like, to bring this around to growing herbs yes. again, is that maybe... Our listeners want to find or maybe do some taste tests, find out what they like, what, what they, they like. can handle, mm-hmm. if that works for their body, whatever they're trying to attack. Right. Versus just, and then once they have that all figured out and they've read up upon, now you start getting into oh my goodness. getting these seeds, start the grome, and then doing. Oh my goodness. I've taken years just to try to figure out what I should or shouldn't grow. I mean, we all have basil in our backyard and we all know what to do with basil. We all know what to do with sage and parsley and all those types of things. But when you start doing a little more research, you can find out that there are other things that you can, you just don't use parsley for a garnish. There are other things that you can use it for, you know, and that's, I mean, it's so nutritional. That's why getting um, tabbouleh is one of the most nutritious foods out there because it's so, it's just parsley and it's so good for you. But you want to, if you're going to start a medicinal, you know, do some research. First of all, get your book and then figure out what is it medicinally that you're going to do. You're not going to, if you have severely high blood pressure, please, please do not just drink Roselle tea and stop all your meds. It's just not going to be what you want to do. If you have family history of high blood pressure and you're now approaching 45 and you've seen that your blood pressure is creeping up there. Yes, you could take a red zinger tea or you could grow your own. And I always say to people, it's the process sometimes. And I think people have a, a higher amount of commitment when they do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And the process itself is is so good for your mind and your body. 
that I always just try it. And if it doesn't work, then go buy it at the grocery store. So what I'm learning from you is that, you know, I mean, we're not going to tell anybody what to do. We're going to leave them options. But in this case, the standard veggie garden, tomatoes, peppers, um, cucumbers, uh, things of that nature. Okay, those are good. I mean, corn, that's what, you know, the standard routine. Right. But if you want to use something that's going to be more of a productive and a continuous garden. Right. Use, these are perennial herbs. Most of them, most of them are. And that's the thing too, is, you know, it's, people are coming in here in the wintertime and they're looking for a basil. They want a green leafy, regular Genovese basil. And it needs 14 to 16 hours of daylight and it needs 70 to 80 degrees. Where is that happening? You know, (laughs) under lights, possibly in your arrow garden, because everybody tells me that they, I grow basil all winter long in my arrow garden. Well, that's set up for the right amount of light and the right temperature in the house. In our greenhouse, I don't have any supplemental lights, and we just don't grow it all year long. Now, there's a difference, because woody basils tend to survive in the winter in a home a lot better, and that would be something like a columnar basil or an African blue. Even your holy basil is a woody basil, and those we take stem cuttings from, and all the other leafy basils we tend to just grow from seed. See, now, I did not know that, yep. and I'm not saying that Mike is, you know, uh, the wunderkind of uh, gardening, even though we promote it. Right, Scott? Right, Mike? Um, the, 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 the scenario here is, is that, for instance, I think people are really, really curious as to what they can use. I mean, we've, we're just coming out of a three-year pandemic. Right. Um, the COVID scenario, people are, want to do something more healthy. We've relied on our food sources and our pharmaceuticals for way too long. Um, we want to find out if we can, like you said in the beginning of this program, get healthy first, stay healthy first, right. and go. You can use this; it builds up, but it depends on how you use it and what you're looking for. It does, and you really need to know what part of the plant is the part that is the most potent or the most beneficial for you. And again, you know, just looking things up online that could be helpful, but I haven't found a whole lot of useful information just on googling. Or searching for what part of the herb do I use? You have to make sure your resources are very good. And that's why I'm saying look up medicinal herbal books by reputable people. And don't just look up the author. Read about the author. Find out what their background yeah, is. Yeah, you don't know if the guy or gal's out there just to make know. a buck. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing is that, you know, when you're starting to put this stuff in your body and you're trying to stop something from happening, you know, you got to know what's what's going on. And you uh, and I don't ever recommend everybody just, you know, gives it out to all their friends and family without knowing their background as well. Okay. What about so, closing? I mean, not closing, but still, we're getting near it. Rosemary and thyme, is that just for Thanksgiving or is this something that you're going to Oh, my gosh. Be- thyme is such a good, such a wonderful herb. And thyme tea is very, very good for you. I don't know if people even really even know how to cook with thyme. You know, culinary-wise, it's just a beautiful, beautiful evergreen perennial herb outside as well. Right. Um, what was the other one you said? Rosemary. Too? Rosemary, another one is, oh, I can't. I bring it in the house every fall and it dies in the winter. And that's because they don't give it enough water. Most of your herbs, they're all going to be high in vitamin C, high vitamin A's and E's. Those are all another important thing. And again, they're like eating green leafy vegetables, really. Well, D3. I mean, uh, most physicians are saying, make sure you got plenty of D3 and zinc. And you brought up the zinc thing. Yep. What zinc plants is- are good and are heavy in the D3? Well, D3 is actually not even a vitamin. It's a hormone. Is it really? Yeah. And so I don't know if you're going to find a lot of food. 
you're not going to find food that has a lot of D3 in it. That's I a supplement. That. Yeah. I know there's a lot of them out there that have B12 in it. Yeah, B12. I mean, your B vitamins, of course, honey is going to be the number one for B vitamins. Well, that's All of another your, one I will talk later on. But What would be another B vitamin I'm trying to think of? Oh, I'm, kale? I don't know. Well, yeah, kale might kale be. Kale is a, heavy in it. I know that. Um, but then you got cabbage, um, spinach. Spinach would have B in it. And they all have iron. Yes. But see, those I don't consider to be herbs. Are they? Well, yeah, well, anything you also that's have herbaceous, to... leafy, like you said earlier. But if you're, if you're not putting anything into the soil, you have to realize you have to feed your plants, what too. What goes in? What goes in goes into the plants. And if you are, that's part of our problem with our food that we're getting at these grocery stores is they're not putting back into the ground what they're taking out. And so, you know, there are things like iodine. There's no iodine in our soil anymore. It's all well, depleted. And oh, are they putting it back? There are certain areas. What would you reincorporate? Well, compost composting is, is ideal. I mean, everybody blows all their leaves away and they don't, they don't make it nice and rich, loose. They don't add all that grass clippings and all that. And if you're treating your yard, again, remove that it. Get it in, out yeah, of I there. I don't no. think you should put but, that in your garden But, you know, all. you can buy aged manure. You can buy aged manure that's very healthy for the soil. I do that in the spring, and I do it in the fall in my gardens. And then I don't really fertilize real heavily, but I also use fish emulsion. And I know I've talked about that before for fish emulsion outdoors for houseplants that you've taken outside. But it's readily available to all of your plant material. It's easily taken up, and it's a nice light fertilizer. Um, so I do think it helps kind of bring out all of the nutrition in a plant when you're growing it in the ground. So my timer on my foot peel is about to go off. How do you guys want to wrap this herbs do up? You, now, you, since you said that, yeah, and in the beginning, this is like English Composition 101. Scott named a few of those herbs. Can we see that? What's in but there? But you know, the thing about this foot thing, and there's 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 a lot of good to this. One of the things that you have to realize, like I've read like putting, you know, you have your pulse points where they always say put your perfume or if you have On essential the oils, wrist, the neck, yeah. around the ankles and all of that. So your foot is a very warm, if you have good circulation, your foot is very warm. And so part of the thing is with this this foot thing that you're putting on is that it's also very porous. Your foot is very, very porous, and it's very warm. So when you put that on, it's getting absorbed straight into your body. And there's nothing unhealthy in there. Um, so no, it's all, you got it's water all good crest, for you. You got chameleon plant. You got chamomile. You've got the, the meadow sweet, the sage. Horsetail really amazes me because we can't get rid of that. You can't, but boy, I'll tell you, it's in all the herb books. How it do you really extract is. it? Are you just... Equestrian, isn't it equestrum? Is that how it, what's what's its scientific there, name? The, the botanical, you can go that yeah, route. Yeah, something no like idea. that. And I know it's just a very, very interesting looking plant. But I believe that it was used for, I believe it was used for diet, wasn't it? I thought it was used for a diet, but I don't We're remember. We're going to have to look that up. Okay, everybody that's out there listening in, Mary Michonne's with us at Ben Sells Garden Center. But she is, I want all of you who are listening, if you got any idea, I'm going to look it up too. But horsetail, the benefit of it, I mean, you can't, There's, they're not a leave. It's no, not it's a, a leave. I don't a, even know what you call that. I don't. It's just it's a, like a, it starts off as a spore, doesn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. It comes, I mean, it has stems that look like a pine tree. Can but I also just add something too before we do. go for these herbs? Another another reason why I started getting into the medicinal side of it is as I was going through a few different books that I have, 
I'm just going to give you an example. There is a, um, it's an herb, it's called coleus for scoli. Okay, so we grow it here. It's a very different looking plant. Nobody buys it, but it's interesting and I love the way it it grows. Is it in the coleus family? Yeah, it's growing right off that, you see that tall plant along the aisle right there. See that? That's coleus for scoli. And coleus for scoli is sold as a $27 to $35 bottle of 30 pills in the grocery store that people use for weight loss. And it doesn't work. So people are spending <laughs> all this money. And so that's why I'm just saying as to, to learn about it. Now, you can grow your plant. The only part of that plant that has any potency that has it curbs your appetite, it actually makes your appetite decline, is the root. And so people are getting this plant. And when you look at the bottles and you look at it, it's all parts of the plant. They're not just using the root. So it doesn't work. And you're spending $30 on a bottle of pills. That doesn't work. So, you know, if, if it's something that you want to try, let's say you want to do something medically for yourself and you think an herb can do it, then before you go out and buy it, see if you can do some research. And I just tell people, find something that you can either drink daily. You don't want to make a pill out of it. You can add it into your food, that type of thing. If it's going to be this long, drawn-out process, it's never going to last. You're not going to keep up with it. I know that. For I mean, it's just not going to work. But I think that if you just pick a couple things medicinally that you want to try and just add them to your daily or weekly activities, I think it will get you into this motion of finding other things that are going to help you. Well, not only that, these plants look so cool. Again, oh. when that mullen plant kicked in, I mean, it was like a crown opening up, and you have this central spire with beautiful yellow flowers, flowers. that were on it, and the birds just went haywire. They go crazy for that. Well, maybe there's something good about that well, if you see a bird that's not falling out of the sky after it gets done eating the seed of the flower. Well, it's like that one author suggested is you start with one thing because it's easy to do one thing. Right. Otherwise, and, you're overwhelmed. And then once that becomes a habit of the body... Then you pick another one. Yes. I mean, so. It, it, it makes good sense. Yeah. I and mean, I think we are all, we're either all or nothing. Yeah. And I think, and that's, you know, I w- I'm just so guilty of that myself. And that's what I started doing that elimination diet type of thing. Because, I mean, my face was full of pimples and oh, red. Yes, and I can relate. It was all terrible. And it's just a slow process. And I just, there's certain things, you know, that I'm starting to just do research on and one thing leads to another. And I don't know. I just, I just find that I feel better. I enjoy growing these things. And the also the other benefit of having different varieties of herbs in your garden is you bring in so many beneficials, either birds or bees, butterflies. If you grew basil and just let it go to flower, basil has more nectar in it for honeybees than any other plant. They go crazy over basil flowers. So it's just, it's good for the environment. It's good for your insides. It's good for your mind. Keeps your, you know, keeps you outside doing things. Again, there's therapeutic. Teach your children how to do it. I mean, herb of the year, we didn't talk about it. 2022, the herb of the year is the viola. So you can go out and harvest wild violas and make your own jelly or jams with that. You can crystallize them, throw them in some sugar and crystallize them and put them on a cupcake. They're edible. They're nutritious. I thought Michael Jackson was crazy. Why well, he might have been a little, a little. but he, ate, he, he loved eating the flowers and the herbs and things of this nature. Yeah. 
honestly, I can't think of a better way to wrap up the show than what she just said. I think that's perfect. I mean, thank you very much. Mary Michonne, Ben Sells Garden Center. You got any questions? She's located in, uh, well, you can find out through the Midwest Garden Podcast with yours truly, Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy, and Scott Sandstrom. You got anything to close with, Scott? No, I'm good. All right, folks, we'll see you later. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thanks for listening to your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.